All right, everybody. Uh, hello and welcome to Is Anybody Out There? I'm joined today by the great Jimmy England, or uh, <laughs> as his stage name is, and or Jim Ordowich. And how are you doing today, Jim? Or I'm doing just doing very well. It's a beautiful day out there, and I'm stuck in the bedroom talking to you. What could be any better than that, Ben? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is what this is how you'd imagine this Easter would be in 2021. I can. Th this is glamour for me. This is really. <laughs> This is as good as it gets in 2021 in this well, pandemic era. I, I just want to warn you flat out, you get to be 70 years old, this is where you end up. This Easter Sunday, beautiful day. I have converted over a, because uh, we've talked before we came on air, of course, I do a podcast, I do some YouTube stuff, and I have converted over a bedroom into a mini studio, and uh, I have pads, moving pads hanging off the walls to improve the quality of the sound for this. And I cannot see a damn thing. I've got two photo photographic lights over here that are lighting me up so I look pretty, which was a real waste of time because once we got hooked up here, you informed me this is an audio only podcast. So I'm really going to need you to, to describe me to your listeners to the best of your ability. Okay, definitely. I'll do my best. It seems to be a theme on my podcast where people are, you aren't the first people are coming on and they have way better setups than I do. And it's just... <laughs> It's not a good look for us. We need to really dump some money into the production value, I think. But uh, it looks good, you know, for from my perspective, that looks like a really professional studio. And well, there you can, go. The, where the, can they the, check it out? Where? What's your YouTube channel? Um, Jimmy England uh, is the YouTube channel right now. I'm current. If you do a search for joke auditions with Jimmy England for the last, I think it's been this is week six. I think it's week six. I, I wrote a lot of new material during shutdown and being older, I'm a little bit more cautious about going out. And, um, but I was playing right up until I think December 12th was the last gig I had. And like everybody else, I've been kind of shut down since then, but I've been writing steadily all that time. And I've got pages and pages of stuff that I've developed and I wanted to get a chance to go out there and try it out, even though I don't have an audience. So what I did is I, I broke it down into about three minute chunks, a little bit of an introduction, add a little music here, a little, credits at the end and whatnot to just throw it out there and inviting people to comment whether they uh, are amused or not you know what works what doesn't work and uh uh so far uh people have told me you know that they like it but nobody's had the guts to go jim this joke really stinks to high heaven you really have to pull this <laughs> yeah. and that's that's really too bad because I'm I'm, I'm I'm done writing in the past and you do not become better at anything unless people tell you what you're doing wrong by all means praise but please tell us what's screwed up here <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I think it's, it's harder to leave um, a comment or is it, is it shot live or, or, or is it over zoom or is it, it's a YouTube no, video? It is a YouTube video. I shoot it. Then I edit it together. And uh, what, what I actually do is I, I I'm getting, I'm, I'm learning new stuff. I think since January and I record the audio portion on GarageBand, which allows me to tweak the audio and, uh, uh, over our last three episodes, I started uh, putting a laugh track onto it just because when you're telling jokes flat out, they don't always work in that kind of a situation. So I thought I'd give it a little more help. So I've added a laugh track on there and whatnot, and I can, I can tweak the sound any way I want to. Then I have to merge it with what I record on my uh, iPhone and put the whole thing together. And uh, so that... Look, I'm retired. <laughs> I can't go anywhere. I can't, you know, I can get groceries. This is the highlight of my week. I go to Costco on Thursday afternoons in Stony Creek. If anybody's out there and they see a really tall guy 
old man. It, chances are it's me walking around Costco having an outing. That's why this, if I, you couldn't see the mask, I would have a huge smile on my face because I'm out of the freaking house. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. So that's your, your one, you got a Costco membership. I, yeah, that's, I do. I, I do. Which is, well, it, it's, it's a really weird thing to think of a guy 71 years old buying in bulk. It doesn't really make a lot of sense, you know? <laughs> 71 year old preparing for the next 20 or so years of cashews. <laughs> I bought, I bought windshield washer eight years ago. I'm still trying to use it up, you know? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I'm watering the lawn with it. I'm trying to put it on my cornflakes, anything I can do to use it up. I'm getting nowhere. It's just, it just seem to be making a dent in the damn stuff. And that's the problem. I've got, I've got all this windshield washer and I never leave the house. I never need windshield washer. <laughs> there's no, there's, there's no de-icing the car. There's none no. of that minimal. No, that, that's the thing. I don't even know why I have snow tires on because if it snows, I just stay home. I, I pay, I, you know what I'm doing? I'm putting money into the economy by paying the guy down the road to put my snow tires on <laughs> and then take them off and put my good tires on. Despite the fact my tires never touch anything but pavement. Doesn't matter what time of year it is. It's really, it's charity at this point. You're just, it you're is, just it giving is. back to the community. I, I expect the tax credit for all of this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's a write-off. How did you, I wanted to ask you, because you're one of the few people I know with a stage name, and I want to know how that came to be, or what that means to you, or when you started doing that. Actually, uh, my history is, is, has a huge gap in, uh, in the middle when it comes to comedy. I actually started out back in the uh, early to mid-70s, and I, my, my, being Ordowich for a last name, that's not the kind of name that trips off your tongue you know I, I people ask me how do you pronounce it I have no idea I pronounce it that way but I can't say that's the way it's supposed to be pronounced right so I thought people are going to have a problem with this so I need another name and uh, two of my uh, comedic heroes back in the 70s still are for that matter Fred Allen and uh, Woody Allen who, who both of them I thought were master writers what have you so I was I was Jimmy Allen back in the day. <laughs> Jimmy Allen the third Jim, Allen brother I like that. The, the third Allen brother you know <laughs> The one who stays away from children. What can I tell you? <laughs> anyway, I, I, I was, that was the name that I was going for. And I did comedy about six times. And uh, anybody who, like yourself, you do comedy too. You know how tough it is. You have to be out there. You got to do a lot of it. It's late night stuff. I was holding down a job. I had a family. So I'm trying to, to support myself and my family and all. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't devote my time to comedy and I had to pack it in. And then when I was 65, um, preparing for retirement, I decided I'm going to do it again. And, but I didn't want to resurrect the Jimmy England name or Jimmy Allen name, excuse me. So I was trying to think around and my mother's maiden name is England. And oh. so I just latched onto that and she, she brought me up on her own order, which my, my, my dad left the family when I was seven ish years old. I don't know, to be honest with you. One day he was there, one day he was gone. I just, it was like weeks before I even noticed that there was no old man sitting at the end of the table, you know? Right, right. But yeah, no, I, that's a, I, I just thought it was interesting because do you think that plays into sort of your character on stage? Do you feel like you're being someone else when you're Jimmy England or is it just a name? Um, I think it's just a name. When I play on stage, I'm probably more the person I wish I was, but- um, Aren't we all? are we all i don't i don't I, i'm not a good actor and i think that's what it really comes down to when i go on stage i'm i'm me trying to be somebody else but it never really comes off so mm -hmm. uh it's it's 
it's a little more measured me. I tend to be a little bit more impulsive. And that was one of the, the toughest things to learn when I started doing comedy was that to wait for the laugh. And uh, pe people don't do that for a number of reasons. One is, of course, that you you don't have total confidence in your punchline. So, you, yes. you you know, and so you sit there and you're, you're trampled right on top of it and you don't give people time to catch up. And as time went on, I learned to let it go. And you develop a couple savers. So if you don't, so there's the sound... Sorry, every now and again, English becomes a second language for me. Uh, but every now and again, you go up there and a joke doesn't work and it's like, it's cricket. So you got to have something to save it and, you know, make some comment about it and whatnot. And so you learn to do that kind of stuff or just bull on past it as it were. And uh, yeah, but, but I'm not a good actor. I'm not somebody else on stage and everything that I do kind of reflects things within my life as a result. I, I will say certain stuff, but I'm totally conscious about how whatever I'm saying is affecting other people. One thing you'll never hear is I don't do uh, jokes about my wife, for instance. Right. I, I will. I will. I will include her in some of the material, but I'm. I'm. I'm not the guy who's going to attack his wife to be funny on stage just because <laughs> yeah. that to me, you know, my 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 history. Here's my history, and I've noticed this about myself, and it, it actually started in high school. You're gonna get a. By the way, you can probably go get a, a coke, take a smoke, do whatever you want. You just you just give me a cue, and I'll just take the podcast over from there. No, no, go for it. I, I'd love to hear it. I was just about to ask you about it. Well, when I the first thing I started doing in high school that I, I I really loved was doing the drama club, and we got a chance to go to see one of the community theater musical productions, and there was a bunch of us that went to see it, and it was, oh wow, this is great. Next year when they do it. I'm going, we're going to try out. We're going to try out. And I went around and said, I'm going to try out. I'm going to try out. And when the, the year came around, I was the only one who went out and tried out because I felt that I had been such a big mouth about going to try out. If I didn't do it, Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make it happen. And I noticed as I got older that there are certain things that I would say I would do and I would turn around and do it as a result. Or you begin to, you call somebody a jerk and next thing you know, you really think they are a jerk and maybe yeah. they are, but mm -hmm. it's like, it, it just, it, you make that move from, the, the mental image to the reality. And with when it comes to your family, I don't think that's a healthy thing. Uh, to be frank, there are some people who do it and they are perfect. They have wonderful relationships, but right. I just, you know, you, you do what feels best for you. You have your own ethical core, I guess, when it comes to comedy. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and people who say there are no ethics or there is no conscience or there are no rules. Uh, of course, there's some level of rules and everybody adopts their own uh, code of conduct so to speak when they're on stage and what they choose to talk about but yeah no i think i think that's an interesting distinction that you in, where, where would you say your material comes from is it do you ever do you speak is it something you say and you go oh, i should write that down or is it just a thought or do you sit down and write or I, I, it's a combination of all three when i started out most of it was that boing, that inspiration and I would write it down. And that's what almost got, well, that's definitely what got me going is I have these ideas and I would write something down periodically. I, um, and it just seemed to build from there. And then as I went along, I was, I realized that my strength is talking about myself uh, as an individual rather than I, hey, look, I'm the outside observer looking in on the on somebody like a Jerry Seinfeld approach might mm -hmm. be, for instance. Right. Um, so I, I would do that and I would be thinking along those lines. What I have discovered and what I, it's been a great discovery is that I am, I, I started a, a writing group and um, we, we meet on Sundays and we've been doing it now for about 10 or 12 weeks. And somebody the first week suggest, and what the reason for it, I'll just back that up a step, was that I had written like 20 pages of material. <laughs> 
which sounds like, oh, that sounds great. But my mortality rate on material is probably about 90 to 95%. So I write a lot of stuff that I think is brilliant. But the reality is that that actually makes it into the act as a staple, really, really small. I'm I'm very fussy for whatever reason. Well, the the audience is fussy. The audience audience is fussy too. Yeah, yeah, the audience is also fussy. They are. They are. So I was doing a lot of that. But when we started doing this and they started writing, they said, well, let's have a theme every week. And... So I started writing to a theme and it's been great because sometimes when I do sit down and I want to write, I, I had this, this, this bulge of stuff that went on for a while, but it's, after about two or three months, it trickled out, but having something to write to made me think a lot more yeah. comedically and how to develop it. And the result is that I now have a lot more material and I, and I'm finding, okay, I, I may, only, I may write 10 jokes of which only two are really good. But that's okay. I wrote 10 jokes and we, yeah. you know, we get the, uh, the back and forth to everybody and I learn what works and what doesn't work. Hopefully it's going to work when I get <laughs> yeah. out there. Hopefully it's going to work. If people could co- go to you, uh, Jimmy England's YouTube and, and comment and let him know if any of his jokes are bad, that'd be much appreciated. Yeah, it's, 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 it's okay to say nice things too. I think we've, we've laid too heavily onto the bad portion. Yes. Yeah. No, <laughs> you might be right. You might be right. But yeah, no. Uh, have you found that through that writing group, and taking random subjects and writing about them. Have you actually written things through that method that you think will make it into the act that you never would have thought about? Yes, yes, I definitely have. No question about it. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna try, David Green's running a, a comedy night. Uh, it's a steam game stand-up oh, yeah. comedy. I'm gonna give it a try on uh, Tuesday and I will be doing probably about 90% of the new stuff there. There's things I, there's a few things that I've done zoom shows of, and I've, it's already been incorporated into my act Yeah, and uh, it's all, it's showing promise. So it needs to, it needs more uh, vetting in front of an audience, but yeah, I'm seeing stuff there that's going to be usable. So it's not just a case. Of, I wrote some stuff that was semi-funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do but you, it really, how do you... it really focuses you on the, on the essence of what a joke is, which is right. the setup and the punchline. And I'm, I've recently been reading uh, um, Jerry Seinfeld's Is This Anything? And it's been really great because his old, routine, his old routines dating right back to when he more or less started as an established comic right up to the current day. Yeah. And what's fat, what you, I'm not a big Jerry Seinfeld fan. I've, I've seen him live. I didn't care for the Seinfeld series. <laughs> but boy, when you read what he writes as a comedian, particularly in the old days, the mm-hmm. man was so concise. He, 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 he was just, he opened my eyes to a lot of, a lot of stuff as a result. It was, it was a really great exercise. So I try to be a very tight comedian, somebody yeah. who's not going to spend half an hour getting to a punchline. I'm looking <laughs> to be there in 10 seconds. Yeah. That's, that's, that's sort of an old school, I think method too, that I think um, a lot of newer people, myself included, I think um, too often focus on the character and the, um, mm-hmm. uh, they think that it's all your quirkiness or what's weird about you, but there has to be Chris Rock said, and he said, all of that's great. But if there's not jokes underneath uh, underlying that, then there, you're not a performer, you're not a comedian, or you won't reach that level that, you know, you, you want to get to. But well, Jerry's think- so concise. He has such an ability to get to the root of it that I think it's very few have that skill. It, well, you know what? I think it, if you're a comedian and you're funny, it is learnable. The one thing we, I'm, I'm not getting in any names here because we do have somebody who's a, who's a starter and I've watched that person start off rambling all over the place and learning to focus, 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 focus. And now they write with, with not 
hundred percent because hey, first year you read a lot of garbage, but they they they're now getting to the state where they're writing a setup, a premise setup punchline, and yep. it, and it's it's paying dividends because everybody in the group is going, yeah, that's it, that's it, that's working. Now you are you can do the long form where you go a long way between laughs. The difficulty with that is you have to keep the interest of the audience and it, yes. and the, it's the quirkiness that gets in the way because you start finding yourself rambling off in a new direction that has <laughs> nothing to do with the joke that you've got in yeah. mind yeah it, it doesn't it doesn't inspire any uh it doesn't uh you don't reveal anything about yourself in those little <laughs> quirkiness outside usually yeah. and it, it, it there's no tension you you kind of in some instances you can be building something and when you go somewhere as if it doesn't have a payoff all it does is it just all that tension that had was holding your audience disappears. It's yeah. actually, I think, harder to do that sort of thing than it is the shorter stuff. It's a lot easier to figure out. That, as I said, it's a rhythm thing. I think when it comes down to it, there, people will laugh once once you prime them. Once you've got them laughing every, yeah. uh, I, I think it's eighteen to twenty three seconds at places yes. like the Improv and that one a comic who goes out. They they don't want them spending half an hour getting to that one punchline. Right. Eighteen to twenty three seconds, you get a laugh, yeah. or you don't come back. Yeah, no, I, I, I've definitely, have been guilty of that sort of long form rambling. I'm, I'm also newer. I've only been doing it for under, like a little under two years. Right. But as I've sort of taken that approach and looking up to people who are mainly writers and, and sort of trying to, it, it took me a while to understand how to even begin writing a joke. But then when you know, I'm sort of getting the hang of it. But you're right with the, it's a rhythm thing where you. You can do and you can do your old your reliable ones and then you can sort of if you try some new stuff a little bit afterwards i find that you can get a more um i used to, i used to go out and do a hundred percent new material sometimes mm -hmm. and i found you, you need to have a have a sort of like you were saying like a the rhythm set like you get them laughing and then they'll keep laughing and that sort of strengthens them i think I don't know. It, took, it took me a good two years to put that together like you i wrote a lot of new stuff i still do every time i do a show that the one thing i do i think that a lot of comedians don't because they're inspired more by the moment than me i'm a very structured person i rehearse like crazy so yeah. when I, I i don't i don't just walk out on stage and say well I, I made my set list up when i was sitting at the table no it was set, <laughs> it was set about four days ago and i have i've done it probably 10 times before i step on the, yeah. up on that, that stage but the result is I know my act. I could I could go right through it, and I I, I can I've shifted stuff around a little. So every time it's new and it's fresh, no matter what venue I go to, it's tougher on me, but it's better on me because I get get a better result of doing something like that. And you know what's the terrible thing about being my age? There was a point I was working towards, and I've totally forgotten what it was. <laughs> Sorry if I threw you off there. Yeah, I I, I maybe went me. off on one of those rambling tangents that us young people tend to go on, <laughs> but. I was going to ask you, um, and if you get, if you can remember that point, feel free to just interject, but I was just going to, what did you do between those 30 or 40 years of when you did stand up six times and then when you mm -hmm. decided again and what inspired you to come back to it? I sold furniture. You sold furniture. I sold furniture for Stony Creek furniture for 10 years. I was the general manager right down to when they moved down the Lewis road and everything like that. And it was a job I loved. I absolutely, I, I started, I should back this up a step because I, when I started doing stand up, I was, I was an accounting clerk and I did that for 10 years, hated it, absolutely hated it. But again, it was the family thing. You had to support your family and whatnot. I happened to know the guy at down at Stony Creek Furniture when he was, and I was basically the second employee that was working for him. 
And it was a, it was a great job. It allowed me to do a lot of stuff. And he let me do the advertising and that became a creative outlet for me. I began to, to do some stuff and be creative. And we even did a TV commercial that I wrote and we filmed down there and whatnot. But after a while, I kind of got burned out and I went off and set up my own company, Applegate and James out in Caledonia and the advertising, I was doing all that and talking to the customers. I had, a, I had a whole schmear that I had when I would talk to a customer that I just, you know, it's, I just had my standard straight lines that I, or my standard punchlines that I would give everybody yep. and get a laugh. And so I, I was still being a, com a comic to some degree doing it right. there. But what I really loved doing is eventually we switched over and started doing TV, TV commercials. And we really became known for the TV commercials. They featured me there. <laughs> and I, I started doing ones where I was talking, but for a variety of reasons, I quit doing it, did a voiceover, which allowed me to do funny stuff. And I would then perform funny stuff physically on, on the screen. <laughs> and they became so well known that I would, I, for four years running, we went on a Caribbean cruise and on every single Caribbean cruise, somebody came up to me and said, whereabouts are you from? Oh, I'm from uh, Ontario, a Hamilton area. Are you that guy on the TV with the oh. furniture store? And oh, that, hey, wow. That's that happened a lot. And, uh, and you want to know something that, that, that whole experience, I think informed my comedy when I did come back, because the one thing I, I wasn't cognizant of maybe as well as I should have been when I started was how important the audience is. When I started my own business, moving from Stony Creek furniture over to that, I, if you're in Southern Ontario, you probably know Stony Creek furniture. If somebody's dialing in in Europe, you have no clue what I'm talking about. That's, yeah. that's okay. You don't need to know, but you, I came in with, you know, my own store with my own pre uh, supposed ideas about how I was going to do it. But over time I realized the, the, but the customers would come in looking for one thing and I'm trying to sell them another. And I had to learn to react to what they wanted. So when I started doing the comedy, the same sort of thing happened. I, I came in to perform and I'm paying attention. I, from, with the exception of, and I hate this, my very first appearance I ever had was at, at Levity when it was known as Yuck Yucks in Hamilton. And I, I had a, the guy who just went up for his first time. And I literally had spent six months kind of going, do I, don't I, do I, I wrote an act. Right, I memorized right. it. And for six months I practiced it, but I was, I was not as diligent as I needed to be to get onto the open mic. But I went in there, I got some laughs. There was a lady who, uh, who, who was a big, who loved it. She was laughing and she was carrying the audience as will happen in a comedy show. Yeah. And when I was done, I was waiting for the elevator to take me downstairs and a couple well, actually, I was off to the side. A couple were going to the elevator, spotted me, turned around, came over and said, we really enjoyed you. We, you were really funny. We really loved your act. That was great. And the great thing about it was for the next two years, all <laughs> I did was I didn't bomb. But, you know, you get one laugh. Sometimes you get a laugh and you can make yourself believe it was a good laugh. But my friend, you got a sympathy laugh. They yeah. felt sorry for you. <laughs> He's so, so old. He's been up there for how long? How much more time does this poor guy have? Let's give him a little fun. Let's like here. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Someone uh, get him out of there. Yeah. Yeah. Those exactly. laughs. Yeah. He's probably waiting for the darts bus, you know. So let's just <laughs> yeah, let's just stall him until then. Stall him <laughs> until then. But, yeah, but th I, that's what my point was going to be earlier. I spent I did. I let it, spent two years playing really crappy places because I didn't know where to go at first. 
and you would go in there and there, there was nights as we all, anybody who's played comedy can tell you this, you spend nights playing the three people or something like that in a bar situation where they're more interested in drinking than they are listening to you. Yep. And, and so you, I would record everything uh, audio initially. And then uh, a few years later, my wife started videotaping, but for after two years, I had this funny thing happened where I was doing a show and I went back through my material and I said, okay, this guy, and I put together something and I went and son of a bitch for the very first time, everything clicked and it clicked really well. And not with a huge audience. It was like about 10 or 12 people. And right. that is, that's kind of a big deal. Cause the smaller the audience is the more uh, hesitant they are to laugh a big audience. Right. Well, you know, somebody else will laugh so I can laugh as well. You just, you right. just seem to have that license to do it. Yeah. I did it then. And I actually took that particular um, recording in the Brantford Comedy Festival. I sent it in. I'll give it a shot. You know, it, we'll see what happens with it. My wife had taped it for me, videotaped it. And unfortunately, she had it. All you saw was my head. And I was kind of bouncing <laughs> around. And I, I managed to do some stuff and whatnot. I sent it in. Lo and behold, I get accepted to go to the Brantford Comedy Festival as one of their quote unquote rising stars because I was <laughs> under three years of, of uh, experience yeah wow the, that's awesome well that's what amazing. they did and how they did it is that they would uh they would be doing the pros would be about five pros a night and three of the quote-unquote rising stars and they if you were you were the idea was to move on to a major performance for ten thousand dollars and if you were one of the rising stars from each of the six weeks that they did it you had to if you won your night you came back for a, a, a play down, the one person who won that night went on with the pros that had won and, and to go do the show. And I got on and I won my night. It was, and it was one of the most fabulous experiences because there were like 200, 250 people in the hall. And for my very Holy. first time, I've got a big audience and I didn't rush. I just, I was having so much fun. I didn't want to get off that stage. It was, it was just brilliant. <laughs> yeah, it was one of those then, nights one of those nights and then i came back and i i played it again and i added some material on because you had to expand from six minutes to ten minutes and, oh yeah and it was fine except that in the middle of it i screwed up and i, I got lost and I, I i covered but it was a bumbling cover right. and uh, uh the girl who won fully deserved to run when she was uh, kathy something i can't remember her name i want to say bates from from toronto right Wait a minute, Kathy Bates. I think I might have the wrong Bates there. Yeah, I've anyway, heard Kathy Bates before. Yeah, yeah. So somebody's just walked in the door. It's just going to close the door on the bedroom now that you're home. <laughs> Sorry, I had to keep the dog. The, the dog and the cat were going in and out, so I had to keep it open. But that, that's oh, okay. no worries. Anyway, um, you'll just do an edit and get me out of there. No worries. But, but that was the first time, and. I, I had recognition and it was one of the most wonderful feelings because people are coming up to you. Oh, you're so funny. Oh, you were terrific. Oh, yeah. And it was great. But after that, that's when there was a sea change in what I was doing in that I was beginning to get some recognition. And prior to all the COVID nonsense that came along, because it's a slow slog. And I, I must say at 71, I'm under no illusions about where I'm going to be this right <laughs> now. If you're somebody your age, Ben, you're you're the prime candidate to be a, a comedian somebody who's a, a woman right now i think it's very important that we get more women in the comedy and minority groups and whatnot they are the people that are going to get the priorities not me right. i will get the nursing home business that is, yeah. that is my niche which <laughs> yeah, is too yeah. bad because i get a lot of laughs off of young people yeah no 100 percent. i think uh, audiences often love 
I've, I've seen it myself when you come out that there's sort of it's a there's a new energy in the room I think people get a little tired of seeing the 20 to 30 year old white guy go on stage like oh he's he's older and you're and you're what six foot nine six oh six foot six please I might have had a career in basketball at six nine <laughs> yeah. at six foot six I could I could graze the uh the rim with my fingers but I couldn't dunk the ball my career was I, I had all the moves of uh, Stephen Hawking. Really, that's all, that was me in basketball. <laughs> Stephen Hawking on the court. Yeah, I was not... only I was the only basketball player who ever played right field. That's what I'm telling you. I was that bad. <laughs> you were not a good basketball player. No. Well, it happens. I mean, found a you found a niche in comedy with the uh, the nursing home business too. That's great. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I love it's a new audience. Any audience is good, but. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to go out further afield, which I've, which I started to do prior to this running out to London and Kitchener and stuff like that. Yeah. Because when you look at me, I'm not this great big comedic presence. And although you and I are having a nice conversation, I am terrible. I'm just, I honestly believe that I'm autistic, but I was born <laughs> at a time when you were just, you know, he's slow. Just let him be. He's slow. That's he's it. Slow. <laughs> oh, yeah. There is a, there is a possibility that I might be autistic. So I, I don't socialize as well. You know, I, I'm friendly but I just yeah. don't know how to do socializing. I'm yeah, just terrible. Yeah. I don't know what to say and stuff like that. Yeah. So when I walk up on stage and I've got material that I've got confidence, I've tested it, I can go out there and I, I know I can deliver. And it's always that shock that I can be funny. Yes. Yeah. That feeling of it just reinforces that there was a sort of an uncertainty in you, I guess I feel the same way. And then you go out and you do it and you're like, wait, I am funny. Like people, people <laughs> like and appreciate what I can do, even, you know, despite the doubts you have about yourself. And it's a great the irony, feeling. The irony is, you know, that uh, I'm at rehabilitating my character because I was, when I was growing up, I loved Groucho Marx. I absolutely yeah. love Groucho Marx. And the result is that I became a sarcastic, sarcastic son of a bitch. And <laughs> guess what? When you're Groucho Marx, you can pull it off. But when you're Jimmy England, knee jimmy ordowich it doesn't work you know yeah, you alienate know. more than you then you uh hilariate people if right. i may create my own adjective hilariate someone we will get the uh, oxford people to put that in the dictionary this there year. we go i just <laughs> all i want is the credit yeah said by jimmy england jim ordowich yeah but I, the, the thing about it is that, that 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 sort of thing is something I, i've had to fight against and uh and because that is not the character i want to be if i was that character on stage that sarcastic guy and it does slip in from time to time but but you can if you've got enough love built up you can kind of do that and get away with it i did a show in london one time uh i got a line that I, actually I, I incorporated now in my act and i was talking about tattoos and i asked has anybody got a tattoo and this by the way is the best ad lib i have ever made in my whole life <laughs> yeah. guy, guy says i've got a tattoo i said oh what, what, what is it what is it exactly he says i got my name tattooed on on my chest i i just looked at him for a beat and i went is it in reverse so you know who it is when you look in the mirror <laughs> <laughs> and that joke went over really really well yeah. so I, I guess that speaks to an earlier question where does new material come from you, you have to pay attention with to what's working so that's been reincorporated and yeah. uh, built on a little bit but uh, <laughs> It's shocking how many people have their name tattooed across their chest, I will say, or their back or their arm. It's, 
what's the well, deal? Well, I, I, I don't understand tattoos to start off with because <laughs> I, I, you know, everybody seems to think they've got the Mona Lisa and one day they're going to uh, they're going to wake up, take a good look at their tattoo and realize they've got Elvis on black velvet. It's just not that nice. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tattoo artists are just below sandwich artists on the, on the hierarchy of artistic people. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just bear hard. that in their, their big thing is that they can trace with a pen, with a needle. That's what they do basically. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. I think I think my generation has a totally different take on tattoos than yours. I imagine that back in your day, and right. correct me if I'm wrong, that it was just tough guys, bikers, and if you were in the Navy. Yes, it's funny. My, my grandfather had a tattoo, and uh, he always regretted it. He was always, oh, I should never, don't, never get a tattoo, never get a tattoo. <laughs> well, what, what the hell? I'm, I'm sorry. My clothes change. I didn't dress like this all the time. You know, you're going to wear the same damn tattoo on your arm that <laughs> while your fashions change. That's women who do that because women love the change. And I just cannot, I just cannot get my head around that idea that you're going to have that for the rest of your life, especially if it's color. Now, everything you wear has to color coordinate to the tattoo. What do you do when it goes out of fashion? You're, you've got spring colors in your tattoo, but it's now winter. You look it's, like hell, woman. You look like hell. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I get into a rant sometimes. No, this is no. A, this, this is a part of my character that does not show up on, on stage, but I do have. And I think I think it's leaking in periodically now. No, that's great. No, I, I love I love to be able to sit back and listen to other people. And it makes my job a lot easier. But I wanted to ask you, when um, going back to what you were talking about with the Brantford Festival, you said sure. you, you took you shot that clip and there was just a night where everything clicked. What was it about that night where that you feel, was there a feeling or something happened or something in your writing, a realization, or are you not even sure? That That's a good question, to be honest with you. And uh, without dragging everything down, I, I had my, it was the month I had to go in to have my prostate removed. Right. And, and I don't, I, I don't know if there was a connection between the two things. It was literally four weeks before I'm going in. I just did this show whether I went and I wasn't afraid of going in for the, for the uh, operation or anything like that, but it just, it was just, it's just, that was the only correlation that I can make because it was the same stuff I've been doing before. Although I think part of it, now that I'm sitting here analyzing it in my head is the fact that for the first time I sat down and went through two years worth of material and said, this joke worked, this joke worked. Now let's pull them in and put them together. He put the, put the best of Jimmy England together and then walk into a, a venue and lo and behold, you do have some good stuff. And you yeah. did have some good stuff for two years, except yeah. you kind of left that behind because you were busy developing something new, which is always a good thing to do, but don't give up on something that works. That yeah. was the message. I think, yeah. Revisiting, revisiting old jokes is something that mm -hmm. has made, uh, definitely made my, um, for the first time, I'm starting to actually build what I would call an act. I feel like I'm repeating jokes several nights in a row, and I'm still enjoying them because be, there are times where I would tell a joke, and especially at the beginning, I would tell a joke, and then I would be tired of it like within a couple of weeks. But that now I'm starting to enjoy working on them, tweaking them, putting them in different places, bringing back old ones. And I, I really do think that it makes a big difference. And I think it, you're, have a, you have a lot of material. You're very material-based in my mm -hmm opinion and a lot of you're one of the main you write jokes that that are truly jokes versus i think a lot of people nowadays are strictly observational strictly i'm weird um have all yeah that weird stuff going on and, and the problem with observational humor is that it is funny but you have to find the punchline it's not enough to identify something as odd now yes. you got to tell me 
what makes it odd. Yeah, what's weird about it, yeah. And it I, takes, it's a lot harder than, uh, in certain instances, I think it's a lot harder than you'd think to find the root of what is the humor. It's actually, I'm, I work, I'm working on a, some new stuff on appliance, smart appliances and things. And uh, see if I can remember, I'm still memorizing it all. As I said, I'm big on memorization. But, uh, <laughs> we have a, a, smart, a smart oven we just bought and you just tell it, you tell it what you're cooking and it figures out the time and the temperature. And if it doesn't know what it is, it looks it up on the internet which proves conclusively that smart appliances are female because no man would look for directions. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But that, but that that's the, the whole point. It, it, you, you, you don't stop at the female part. You don't stop at the fact that it, it goes on the internet. You have to make a joke about what you've just said. You can't just yeah. make the observation. Yeah. And I'll, well, well, that's maybe not the best example I've ever given anybody, but it is the best example of the fact that you can't just say, gosh, isn't it funny that tall people hit their heads on the top of door frames? <laughs> no, it's, it's an observation, but it's yeah. not in itself funny. Yeah, it's not funny to me or you. It's tragic. It is really. tragic, man. It is. It is. We are normal heighted people and all these irregularly, irregularly sized people criticize us. It's, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's one of the great tragedies of our time. Absolutely. I think it's an under all people matter. Oh, God, I wish I hadn't said that. <laughs> underreported. It's an underreported demographic. <laughs> I was going to. How do you feel about um? sort of going off of that the difference between like the state the state of comedy now versus when you were uh had first started or back in the 70s or what do you feel what are the differences that you've noticed do you feel comfortable in these times with this new do you think comedy has devolved what are your thoughts on you know sort I, of the evolution well it's interesting and i think the certainly there seems to be a people want to be edgy i've run into yes. comics that are starting out i want to be edgy Ugh. And uh, yeah, I'm kind of that way as well. And but what they they're they're being influenced by the the, the Lenny Bruce's, the the George Carlin's, the Richard Pryor's, the Louis C.K. Louis C.K. What they what they don't get is that they're not just edgy; they're edgy with a purpose. George Carlin is probably the best example of showing the uh, the r ridiculousness of banning certain words in his seven words you can't say on TV. They just yep. He would say it until you went, oh, no, this is really, why, why are they not, this is, and it would be hilarious the whole time. Yes. So it's edgy with a point. Lenny Bruce, the same thing with, the, you know, with the material he would talk about and whatnot, he would turn around and get arrested for it, but he was making a point that there's nothing wrong with, these are just words. Why, why can you not drop an F-bomb, but I can say fornicate? It yeah. makes no sense, that, that makes no sense at all. Right. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's, um, Sorry, one sec. I just gathered. That's that. While, while you're brain craving. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the future. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're, you're right with the edgy with a purpose. And I think to be edgy, just to be edgy. And I, I do I do appreciate humor with an edge. I'm a big fan of Louis C.K. And I'm a big fan of people who do it well. But I think mm -hmm. people, it's too often the default is to go right to the edge and, and to the extreme when you're, you're kind of passing over a lot of everyday mundane things that there, there's a lot of humor in or, or, or just approaching it differently. I, th I think too often people think that edgy equals funny, but it's edgy plus funny is. It's, it's, really like, it's like dropping an F-bomb on stage. It, it, it's, it's, I don't, I, I've, only, I've only 
Can I swear on this podcast? Oh, absolutely. Let okay. it rip. I've only said fuck three times on stage and I've regretted it every single time. Wow. And, impressive. And the, the reason it, I think you need to work clean. You need to learn to work clean because you'll get more work. If you want to be edgy and you don't mind working in toilets for the rest of your life, go yeah. ahead, be as edgy as you want to do. But yes. understand, you don't complain that somebody doesn't like you and you can't get gigs or all the other stuff because you are not you're not likable. I'm sorry. That's, that's your own decision to make. If you, if you're going to, if this is a business to you as well as an art, then you Which have it to, is. exactly. So you have to think about where you're going to do this. You have, I, I, as I said, I don't swear on stage, but I am risque. I will talk about topics like my prostate. I will talk about <laughs> sex. I will talk about all those things. I had a joke that um, I, I spent six months. I, I love the joke, but uh, I, I, I was going to give it away to somebody else because I just couldn't figure out a way to do it where I would be comfortable doing the joke. And the joke was um, we have a new uh, grocery store in our area and uh, they've got products that I've never seen before. They've got a soap that's infused with uh, oregano and sage and about 16 different herbs and spices. So if a woman were to use that, I was to have oral sex with her. Does that count as a salad? <laughs> What if I what if I, what if I use ranch dressing as a lubricant? And the, the the thing that made the joke work for me was when I started when I was less crude and changed it to oral sex, and then yeah. I could do that joke at that point. Right. I guess it's kind of making a bit of a mockery of George Carlin's. Well, it's just language, but yeah. it's just it's just it's less threatening to people. It's yeah. it's one of those, you know, a person who isn't going to like a c word is going to giggle at that. Yeah, and it did. I used that actually in the Brantford uh, contest. That was one of the jokes I used. Got a big laugh with it. So yeah, no, that's a and you're you're exactly right with the the devils in the details. And I think especially as and this isn't to say that there's anything you know wrong with where we're at, but where we're at right now, I think often men or especially specifically white men and maybe older white men, you have you're more likely to appear as threatening than perhaps. Um, a woman or someone who uh, potentially a minority. Yeah. And so you have to, you have to be aware of that and walk that line, but I know exactly what you mean. I have, I have a similar joke where I talk about um, how punctuation matters because I was texting my girlfriend the other day and she texts me, Hey baby, uh, what's up? I said, nothing much, just ate. And she goes, nice baby. What'd you eat? And without thinking, I said, Chinese baby. And I go into a whole <laughs> thing about eating, eating, uh, but I'm never say I'm never actually talking about the details of eating a Chinese baby. It's just, it's just a funny slip up that just so happens to you know it just worked yeah, out. Yeah, and it, it's actually a funny. It's a solid joke because it, it it's an observation, but when you put it in that context, it really works. And I have no trouble, by the way, with edgy com com comedians or swearing on stage. I love British stand-up comedians. They're some of my favorites. Jimmy Carr, who yep. dances around some pretty pretty uh t topics that are you know oh geez i could say that in front of my mother i don't think yeah. so but he's he's absolutely hilarious and yeah. you, you you watch a phil jupitus or one of my favorites and female comedians i'm just going to do a quick diatribe on female comedians as i said earlier we need more of them but one of the the biggest problems is that a lot of them are trying to be men and, and that's mm -hmm. in the nature of their comedy yes. sarah Milliken, i watched her in toronto an amazing comedian 75% of her audience was women. 
I laughed, the men who were there laughed, but the subject matter was relevant to women without being, you know, and she was a GF bombed and what have you, but they use it as punctuation mm-hmm. rather than the, that's not the laugh. That's just a punctuation that makes you get the laugh at the end. Right, and that's yeah. all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I think you, you're right with the, there's sort of, um, and I, it's probably because it's been such a male dominated industry for so long that um, there aren't many, there aren't many, well, there's a few, but it's mainly the trails have been blazed by men. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at how to do it, you probably study men and sort of, but you're right. There's sort of a lack of the feminine touch often. And it's, I think that that's hurt women more than anything is and by I'm not, not choosing to. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting women should just, should just restrict themselves to period jokes. That's not, exo- that's not what I'm saying at all. Yeah. It's just like myself at 71 years old for me to start doing gen X jokes or millennial, millennial jokes from that <laughs> standpoint is stupid. It's yes. not going to work. Right, right, right. Yeah, that would be funny though. If you went up there and you just, and you were like, Hey kids. And you just talk like YOLO. <laughs> My problem is I don't know half the terminology, you know, I have yeah. grandkids. I have to go back. Can you explain this joke to me? I didn't really understand it when the guy yeah. said it on stage. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You, so you have grandchildren. How, how old are your grandchildren and have, do they know you do comedy? They do. And they try and avoid the subject as do my children. Um, <laughs> I have six grandchildren ranging in age from eight to 18. I think she's going to be 18 this year. And uh, yeah, they know I do it. And every now and again, I will kid around my son. He's actually the funnier. He's the funny one in the family. He's the natural funny guy. He doesn't have the desire to go out on stage and and exercise that uh, humor. But uh, he and I used to do that when I had my business, he started 10 years old by 14. He was doing deliveries with me. And by 18, he was doing the deliveries on his own, but we would drive around in the truck and talk and he would, he would crack me up with his ideas. And to this day, he still does. He's a, he's a tremendous father and uh, great grandkids. And uh, my, my oldest grandson probably could be a stand-up comedian. He is, he is, he's picked up his dad. He's just like his dad. Funny, funny kid. Well, what, what they were doing was a, uh, 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 he's a, he's a teacher. And during lockdown last year, they would, he would send, he would have the kids, okay, you have to tell us why something is bad. You got to do a presentation on why something was bad. Uh And Nathan got up and he talked about what was wrong with spaghetti. And he happened to videotape it. And it really is hilarious. The kid was, (laughs) he knew he was doing how to, he knows how to be funny. And he's just like his father. And uh, I'm of two minds. One is I'd love him to go out and try and do comedy so that I could maybe introduce him around and what have you. And the other part of me is, no, I don't want a kid that's that broken. I want a kid. I want my kids <laughs> to be perfectly healthy mentally and uh, physically. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's an interesting distinction that, because I've noticed the same thing in my life is that some of the funniest people I've ever known in, in regular life would either are not willing to take to go on stage or probably wouldn't be able to take that energy on stage and there's something about i think people who 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 do have that desire there's sort of a specificity to it there's a it's formulaic you you try to like yourself you said you try to break it down into sort of a logical steps and i don't know it's it's a strange it's just a strange thing and here i go not making a joke just making an observation <laughs> That's okay. You're allowed to do that because yeah. this is a this is a podcast. So you're not on stage trying to amuse me or anybody else. Yeah. Well, I suppose tangentially, of course, we always want to be amusing. I have a friend. I have a friend like that. When I was in high school, 
I thought he was the funniest guy I had ever seen. And he was of that Robin Williams natured kind of funny before Robin Williams was on the scene. This yeah. guy I thought could have been hilarious. We did, we were in a drama club together and I did some TV local um, area TV stuff. We tried to do a comedy thing when you're young and really don't know enough and don't have a budget and all that right. all other things. And, but he was <laughs> one of those guys who could do character voices and, uh, uh, he, he was just a natural and he didn't pursue that. And it's, uh, and it's funny, we, we walk all the time. And he, he's, he said to me, even in high school, he was nervous. He had stage fright. And yeah. that's, that's the thing that stopped him from going up on stage was he just, he just could not get past that. And it's, I'm a little, I've, I've always had nervousness before stage going on stage. Uh, sometimes it's the nervous, I want to go on stage. Yes, I I, yeah. I so badly want to go on. I don't even care if I open. I just want to get on that stage and yeah. just have that audience in front of me. I want to get that first laugh because I know everything after that is going to be wonderful. It's like, right. you know, that's the nice thing about at my age at 71, when I go on stage and I get that laugh, I'm in my early twenties again, like I was in the seventies. Cause that feeling I got back there when something clicked and I didn't have a lot of clickables, by the way, <laughs> that, 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 feeling that I would get is the same feeling I get today. And, and uh, I just cannot imagine my life not involving stand-up as I proceed to wherever, well, the inevitable. <laughs> Where we're all going, you know. Uh, but uh, how do you, that's a, I, the reason, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you was, first of all, we haven't spoke much in regular life. Like I would say we're acquaintances, but yeah, just how many many's the time i've walked away from a show after you've been there and my wife and i will discuss you and wonder what is he doing in comedy you know we <laughs> i think accounting has really lost a great by him yeah. coming out stepping up on the stage man. oh i'm glad to be part of your regular dinner conversation whether <laughs> it was for my successes or my failures but i was I, I always respect yeah but you try you're everybody you go out there in those first years you got it you know it's I, and that, that's actually i think one of the differences between this now and back then, the audiences are a lot more forgiving, I find today. I can remember going on stage and the audiences were more likely, or maybe it's just the audiences around here, but doing Yuck Yucks in Toronto, I think back in the day they were in Yorkville. And, you know, if you weren't going well, the audience wasn't shy about saying it. <laughs> today they will if they're drunk, but if they're, if they're, they, they're more respectful. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So you, did you do the original Yuck Yucks in Toronto? When I did it. Opened, I, I did it a couple of times. I had, there was another friend of mine at the time who was also into stand up, and I kind of went along with him. He was a very funny guy, uh, who who burned out and didn't do anything with it. But uh, yeah, I went with him, and uh, it, so it, it was a neat experience, just on the open mic night. So it wasn't. I never really. I. I you know what? I have ex, one joke out of all that time survives to this day but it took me 40 years to figure out the punchline the joke <laughs> better the, better late than never i will tell you the joke and then i'll tell you why it didn't work originally the joke right. was uh i'm married that comes as quite a surprise growing up i used to tower over women but my mother god bless her she said women love to dance with tall men apparently my mother was from a generation who found it very romantic to dance cheek to testicle <laughs> always gets a laugh what happened in the old days it was cheek to kneecap never got a laugh right never yeah. i changed it to a testicle and all of a sudden and actually that brought up my my uh, and it was another ad lib line that uh, came out just out of, out of nowhere it was a great line afterwards you do that uh 
uh, cheek to testicle, also known as ballroom dancing, which is really uh, the capper. That really I like that. Yeah, that, that, that finished the joke. That was a great tag. It just finishes yeah. it off nicely. So, if uh, six years in, five and a half years in, rather, I'm, I will still resurrect that. But I, usually, if I'm doing a long set, I will bring that back. Otherwise, I'm always out there kicking, kicking in there, trying to do new stuff, trying to develop that stuff. However, what else you want to talk about? I'm, I'm this is fun. I'm having a good time. Me too. Yeah, you've been a you've been a great guest. You've really brought the energy, and uh, you know you've made up for maybe my. Uh, I love how when we first started recording, you said, um, "This isn't a video podcast in it," which is really just your way of saying you look you dress like shit. Um, what's going on? <laughs> no, you you dress like. Uh, sorry, I guess you nailed it. What can I say? <laughs> dress like shit. That's all right. I'd love to do the video component eventually. And so, how did you? How did you? What inspired you to get into the sort of realm of YouTube and podcasting? Was it because of COVID or, or what was going on? No, well, uh, let's back up. The podcast I started almost at the same time I started doing stand-up comedy. Oh, wow. I was listening to podcasts. I discovered them. We were in uh, Florida and we'd driven down there, my wife and I. Classic. And for some reason I downloaded a bunch of podcasts and that's what we, and I just discovered some uh, sawbone stuff. You should know stuff you missed in history class. We listened to them all the ways home and it was great. They were long form. They would go anywhere from half an hour to an hour and they were amusing. They were informative. And I thought, this is really cool. And I started yeah. to look into it. I spent about a year. I didn't know how to get, I didn't know how to upload this stuff. I didn't know how to, I, I, I I figured it had to be edited. Had to put on a actually, floppy disk. No, I was, yeah. <laughs> yes, because I'm an old man. <laughs> that was a cheap one. That was a cheap that one. Was, yes, when I was in school, our globe was flat because that's what we thought the world was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Anyways, um, I got for a long time, I didn't do anything with it. Then uh, I, had a, I was doing the stuff at CHCH TV here locally, and uh, I was good friends with the sound engineer there. And there was this purge where they, cut a staff back and people who'd been working there for 20 years lost their jobs. And so anyways, I started, I said, look, uh, well, can you record me and do this? You, you'll have to you know, explain what I wanted to do. And so he looked into how to do it and he set everything up. And uh, I, for three years, I was paying him about, it was about $150 a podcast to record it. I did it every twice a month and I could afford that back then. Right. Uh, I was still working and whatnot. And I, don't smoke. I don't do drugs. I don't golf. So I had the money. Okay. Right, right, I, did, right. I, I don't want people out there judging me going, Oh yeah, you can do that on top of everything else. And he owned the <laughs> store way to go. Well, actually what I did is I, I had the store pay for the advertising. They would have an ad on there. So that kind of helped a little oh, bit, but bad. anyways, uh, we started doing that and, uh, it was a great experience. Getting people to do it initially was hard because I had my core of people, my friends from high school who I thought were hilarious, including the fellow I told you about, and I brought them on and we started talking. It was about movies from the sixties and seventies. And we would talk about them and I would basically play the, the, the guy who doesn't go along with everything. So I could say, you know, that's terrible. That, and I have to have my reasons and everything. I can't just go, it's, it's terrible. You have to, and, but we would bring up stuff and we'd be informative and it was so much fun to do. It was fun to be around these people. It was great. We did it. And we built it, but we got it. When I did retire for about a year afterwards, I was still paying our engineer to do it. Who by this time, by the way, we would be chiming in as we're doing this. So it ended up being a three person <laughs> podcast. Yeah, and, like he and he became so intrinsic to the program 
that I couldn't let him go. So, yeah. But what we ended up doing is he taught me how to do the editing and, and the, the posting and all the other stuff. You know, for, he, he participates. He's my engineer. He records the program for free now, but uh, we always make sure he's on there. Quite often, he will take the guest's point of view, which gives me two people against me. And that makes it for, <laughs> it's a much more fun podcast when yeah. that kind of thing happens. Right. But he, he's also great because he will, where I, as with comedy, I prepare like hell. If I'm doing, a, we're just doing one uh, coming up uh, on uh, Mr. Hobbs takes a vacation uh, from 1960, I think it is, or 62, and the in-laws from 1979. When I prepare, I watch the movie. I research the movie. Mm-hmm. I prepare my intros, my outros, my questions. I am all of that stuff. I send the information off of what we're going to talk about so that my guests have an idea what we're going to talk about. So, so I'm it, unlike this, where you can, you can kind of, you're just having a conversation mm-hmm. there. I, I let them know. Cause I, I, I noticed after about a year that I would be hitting people with stuff that I knew the answer to that they didn't. And right. it worked, it worked better if they knew if I looked yes. like the idiot and they looked like the knowledgeable person. Right. So by, so by doing that, we began to do it. Now, once you've got that done, now I will take it and I will have, we record it. Now I have to edit it. And a 45 minute podcast will take me two to two and a half hours to edit in total. Oh, wow. Uh, well, it's amazing. The number of times people say, uh, or right, yes, right. Or things yes, like that. Yes. <laughs> and I learned really quickly. If you take those out and those long pauses, everybody sounds that much smarter because they're not, and it's, it's, it's a nor, in normal conversation. You never notice it, but when you start to record it and you listen to it, that's what you hear. And by taking them out, everybody sounds a lot smarter and faster and sharper. So you're doing that. Then I have to listen. I, I change it to an MP3. And then I bottom line, every podcast is three days worth of work before wow. it actually goes up. But I think that's probably worth it. I mean, I myself have wrestled with the with with issues with editing and just, you know, production value and where I want it to go. I think it's that's a whole nother take is to have you know, old movies be the subject matter and you and your, you and your friends can, you know, talk about them and have actual intellectual debate. I mean, that's, but three days worth of editing, that's a, or well, that's, that's the, that's the whole, not editing. That's the whole process. I don't want, I, but yeah, that's it. from start to finish, there's three days involved in it. And then we post it. My wife listens to it and goes, that wasn't <laughs> so funny. Actually, she's very supportive. I, I, Cause my wife watches all the movies with me. Right. And build and building your listenership is the hardest thing. And, yes. oh, you know, it, and we have, I, I, in fact, just to my right here, your left, I have a list of everything that we're doing. And I think we're recording episode 120 coming up. That's awesome. So we've been, we're doing it every second week now. We were doing it twice a month before, but um, it has been going on for a long time. But what happens when you do that is people listen to the current podcast and they go, oh, this is interesting. Then they'll go back through your catalog yes. and say, oh, he's, he's talking about apocalypse now, or he's talking about uh, Elvis goes to goes Hawaiian or something like that. So they will go back and download those episodes and listen to them. So those numbers go up. Now, right. do you know what the, because I, for a guy who doesn't swear on stage, I said, if we're going to do this, we're going to talk about everything we want to talk about. So yes. do you know what the you don't but take a guess what is the most downloaded episode we have ever done uh i have no idea (laughs) apocalypse now tell me the porn movie caligula oh hardly surprising 
no it isn't it isn't surprisingly enough yeah but it was and ironically it's a funny episode it was a lot of fun to do that one yeah because it is a it is a terrible as, as sex goes it's terrible it's like six minutes of sex out of a two-hour movie you've got <laughs> helen mirren and i can't remember who all the other artists are doing the other part with a terrible story it's just an awful awful dull <laughs> boring story but the fellow who presented that one thought it was great so we had this wonderful back and forth that we we have yeah. I, that's the thing if I, I have a relationship with my guests it's a lot easier than if i'm doing somebody new it's really really hard because I, I i i have to find my the boundaries you yeah exactly. what boundaries are and what you can yeah. and can't say yeah no, exactly and the irony is that the people i have uh i've got one girl who does it with me regular chris Wergler, who is uh my favorite the favorite guest of the fans i hear this quite a lot mm. she's one of the favorites she almost got dragged kicking and screaming into doing it and she got shanghai she, she did psycho which is the very first one and yep. she had a cold and we did it and phil our engineer at the time had hadn't had her microphone on we had to do the whole podcast <laughs> a second time oh with her. my gosh but the beauty of it was and as i discovered by doing that is we didn't lose the um spontaneity that it showed up in the first part of the the first time we did that episode yeah. and she, she's just one of, the, one of those fun people to, to talk to and just in, it's her personality in real life and it comes across when we talk she's also somebody who does a lot of research so when we do things she will know things that i don't know and she knows right. how to present it but she's also one of the, the great laughers of all time so if yeah. i if i say something that makes her i forget what we were doing one time and we're, what movie it was but it was just a, a straight movie and she's describing it rather uh, um, sexual terms, and I'm going. Where the hell did you watch this? Pornhub, you know. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it totally broke her up. So that, that, and being a comedian, that's what you live for. Yeah, just those those moments. Even in in just normal life, you feel. I've always felt like I was a comedian before I even knew I was one. Where I was just always trying to make people laugh I, unconsciously. I never, I never really you know, looked into it too much or read into it, but, but then you, you've been sort of performing on some level your whole life. Like your whole, my whole life is not to be dramatic, but it's often felt like a stage to me, I think. So then when I go up there, it doesn't feel that much different, you know? Yeah. It's just an elevated part of the floor. Yeah. It's just a little bit, I'm just on, I'm four feet higher than everyone else. And that's all I need. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that about that realization, because I, I can tell you the first time that I did something funny and I went, Whoa, this is really cool. And that was, I think it was either grade seven or eight. When I was in elementary school, they had a class called speech. And just as the name would imply, you would have to get up and you would talk to the class. And I, I think their, their purpose in having a speech class was to teach us not to have stage fright and to talk, not just to, you know, employ future employers or other people and be able to present ourselves. Well, I'm sure it had that the highfalutin sounding thing, but I got up there and I did a thing about babysitting my cousin. And, uh, you know, it wasn't particularly funny or anything, but at one point I said something along the lines of go on and put your, put on your PJs. And for some reason, the class thought PJs was hilarious and they broke into laughter. And I, and I had that moment startled almost deer in the head, like look for a second, but it was one of those things where I had that. And then the, the light kind of went on in my head and I went, you know, this is kind of cool. They're right. laughing at something. I, I, I like this. I like yeah. being funny. This is a right. lot of fun. And is that when do you feel like you always wanted to be a comedian and then it took you a long time to sort of rev up to actually doing it? I think that that was always there. I was, I was hamstrung by the fact that I was extremely, I'm shy. 
you wouldn't know that from this, but it's because, <laughs> because we know what we're, because I know what we're talking about here. Yeah. I, I, I feel like my, my opinion matters, but you come to me to ask this, but if, if, if I went to a complete stranger and started talking like this, I would have a hard time because they didn't prompt me. They didn't come to me to talk about right. this. I'm yeah. volunteering all this useless, stupid information. <laughs> You're trying to fill, fill up minutes of your podcast. They're just trying to be entertained and get through this gar this garden party and go home. That's really what they want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that so I'm I'm very shy on on the one hand. The other is I, I'm I think that shyness is part of. I, I call myself lazy, but I think it might be something that holds me back from going to do things, mm. and uh, it, it's something I have to overcome. And it's only in with a certain level of success that I, uh, I can go up, I can do what I do now. And I feel confident going to, to do things, but it's, it's still hard for me to approach somebody brand new who's never seen my act or, or, you know, can you put me on your stage there? I, I'm not very good. At, I, I don't do enough of that. It's, it's something I, I have to make myself get over that hump because yeah. your comedic growth requires that you have to push yourself. You have to be, a, you got to have them, let you be the headliner. I've got about 45 minutes worth of material. I've, really? I've Holy. done about, I've done 20 minutes, uh, two or three times. And, uh, I was actually supposed to headline, uh, back in December, but that got, uh, poleaxed by the COVID, uh, isolation thing again, but that's, yeah. a, you know, but it's, I, I, it's, it's me getting up on, out there and, and getting people saying, Hey, let me do this more often. That's I try and do that, but yeah, other people, uh, David Green is just a mass out in Niagara is a master of promoting himself. He's yes. a funny guy. He's, been, he's a professional comic, but he's like a lesson in how to be a professional comic because he really gets out there and he, you know, he's, he's doing everything. Ryan Sim in Hamilton. There's another guy and Dan Brennan, two people who just show up at everything somehow yeah. or other, they end up on every program where <laughs> yep. I, whereas I'm less like, Oh, you got the program set. They're going to go up and say, got room for one more. I'm going to be going, oh, the program's set. Well, I'm going home now. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a whole another side of it. That's just the um, sort of being bold and being, but yeah, you're, you're right about David Green. I see, I don't know him very well, but I see him everywhere. That guy does not stop for, no. for anyone or anything. COVID, it, it didn't matter. He's, he's on the TikTok. He's on, he's doing virtual shows, shows on Steam, all this stuff. It's really, it's really inspiring in, in a way that that's, that's a whole nother side of it that I think, not enough people tap into which is getting the real viewership and getting people to like you and know your name and spread through word of mouth it's there's a whole a, nother level there's, a, there's some guys on uh youtube trying to teach you about comedy which is a mixed blessing on some of the there's people that i've started and they, they're just taking too long to get to the punchline of whatever they're doing there so i've turned it off but there was one guy i watched uh, actually about a week ago he was, he was teaching you to comedian. He was trying to, you know, it's not be funny or be a comedian, but to comedian. And he was point, he was pushing the aspect that you have to get out there. And he was saying, one of the places you can go is you can call up rotary clubs and service organizations in your area and your surrounding area. And they have these luncheons. You can volunteer to go in and perform a set for them. It has to be clean. He made that yeah. point. Uh, but go there. He said, because that's what I did. And he said, I do that. And yeah, I do it for free, but I never come away with at least one person will hand me their business card and I will get a job and the job will pay for him. It was anywhere from, he's in the States, 600 to up to $5,000 at the high end. And he's, yeah. he's quite frank about it. $5,000 at the high end doesn't happen very often, but you know what? A comedian that can pull down $600, uh, they'll pay for my gas. All right. The gas that I've expended, the parking that I've expended yeah. up to this time, learning to be a comedian, that's 
what I need. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. There's all those costs that come with it that, you know, you don't get paid for a while, but there's all these, there's all these alternate routes. I think not enough people today are, like you said earlier, focusing on working clean because there's so many, if you're serious about the business, there's so many more opportunities in being willing to, you know, to let go of, of your ego maybe and just write some clean jokes, but it's so much harder though. I find it, I have a few, but not enough. It, it, it is. And I, I'm develop, developing more and more as I go along. But I feel that the, the, the but sex jokes, just you get you get a laugh a lot easier. It's, yes. it's low hanging fruit to some degree. Yeah, I is. try and be unique with them. And that's because I've heard some people do a joke. And it's like, you know what, that's his joke. That's his joke. That's his joke. That's his joke. You're all saying exactly the same the joke, same slightly thing. different wording. But it's <laughs> there's nothing there's nothing new here. There's nothing right. new here. That's not going to carry you very far. No. And I think my material is what keeps me moving forward. Al Val out of Toronto uh, had never seen me perform. And we were out in Hagersville at a brewery out there doing a, a show there. And he was on just, he brought some other guys down from Toronto and all oh, these guys were electric. They were good. And Al is just amazing. Yeah. And he does this show and he's just fabulous. And I have to get up there right after him. And I'm, I'm a little bit nervous, but I, again, I had enough experience that I did 10 minutes, did 10 solid minutes. And then I sat down with my wife and here comes Al with these guys going, who are you? Your material, yeah. your writing is so sharp. And it was like, he, no one has ever paid me a better compliment than Al when he said that to me, about when he talked about the writing, because yeah, that's yeah. what I think. That's what I think I am all about. It is all about the writing with me. I'm not a good actor. I don't yeah. even think when I'm, when I'm on stage, I don't even know that I'm that great of a presenter. <laughs> but if, if, I, if, I, if I'm saying something funny, maybe I don't have to be quite as sharp as I need yeah. to be. Yeah, I can, I can cruise on my good looks. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's no, that's an interesting point, though, that the uh, for you, you feel that it's the writing. And, you know, for other people, I guess maybe they feel differently. But I think at its core, stand up is writing, you know, in its purest form. It's it's the ability to write a joke and write write your thoughts down in a concise way that people can understand them and that they're funny. But I was, I was just going to ask you about, um, you seem to me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you, I think at your age, you sort of sift through the bullshit. You don't, you're not really messing around with, um, you know, first of all, your material is super tight. You've got your podcast, you've got that you've transitioned to online pretty seamlessly and you're still trying to do things. What, what, what do you think it is that, makes you you know operate in that way like what about what about your life makes you feel that you're like well i i don't know you just tell me about it (laughs) i guess i i don't know because there was a part of my life that was very slapdash where i would do something half-assed and think that i've done i've I've done something that's good enough and now i'm i i I think i'm going to go back somewhere around the night when I was 50 years old, the 1950s, no, it was in the, when I was 50 years <laughs> yeah. old. I, I actually, I've, I've always been able to write. I've always loved when I would have English classes and we had uh, creative writing that, that was, that was my bread and butter. I love to do it, but I would write out longhand and I would, I would write pages of stuff and what have you, but it's very hard to edit that. Cause I'm a, I'm, I'm a better editor when mm. keyboards came along on a, on a computer. And now I could, I could also get my thoughts out faster. I'm a yes. terrible writer and I, and I will sit there and I have this great thought about something and I'm, and I'm handwriting it out. And by the time I got to where I needed to say it, I forgot what it was because I was trying to concentrate on two things at the same time. The keyboard allowed me to get it out fast. And it also allowed me to edit. 
Yeah. My fifth, and so when I was in my fifties, I, I went, started taking some writing courses just for short stories and what have you. And my, my intention was to write something just to be the best writer I could be. And that started, my mindset started to change. And I would, I, I found that I was a good editor. I could, I hated writing. I loved editing. I, I hate, I still hate writing the jokes, <laughs> but I love taking wow. that joke, pulling these words out, putting this word in. Mark Twain said that there's the difference between the right word and almost the right word is the difference between lightning and the lightning bug. And I yeah. always remember that and I still do to this day. So yeah. now I am, I'm much more fussy about what I write. And somehow that's not who I was when I was doing comedy in the, in the seventies. Now I am much more fussy and I may even be overly critical. Like I said, I have a big mortality rate on the jokes that I write. Yeah. And that's a good thing on the one hand, because I predict that, you know, whatever I get out there is tight and solid and generally works for me, but I may be leaving some babies on the floor that maybe I shouldn't be. So, <laughs> but I think I, I absolutely see the advantage to, you know, your approach to it. I think, but even just from, from seeing you on stage, it's just so obvious that you, you come prepared, you, you're much more professional than a lot of the people who come to these shows. And I think that there's, there's a lot of value in that. And, and do you think that younger comedians are missing out by not taking those things you rehearse and all I, those, all those things like that? I say the two things that everybody has to do. Number one is record your act. That is just, that is super critical. So basic, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just because I don't care if you're doing five minutes and you're on stage and you're going to get off, you're not going to remember every laugh that you got. You're not going to hear the silences. If you're going to remember anything, you might remember a laugh or two. You got a good laugh here and a good <laughs> laugh there. Yeah. And you also learn, somebody once said to me, well, I had a bit and I, I, uh, some line and I, he said, uh, it never, I had it work this one time. It was really great. I keep it in my act because it works so great that particular point in time. Well, guess what? There's always going to be those rogue audiences that find a line funny, but you yeah. have to learn to be consistently funny. So yeah. the fact that they got, you got a big laugh with it there and you never got a big laugh again, mm -hmm. either the joke isn't right or it joke isn't worth the time and effort. So get yeah. rid of it. That's part, that's, that's editing. That's going in there and saying, and you have to record yourself in order to determine that practice though that's also equally important when i came back in september when when they started to open up after the covid re uh, restrictions last late July. august like yeah. late august september i was i was the slowest comedian coming back because of my age i i went and uh, I, I was about six weeks later and i, and I played levity mm -hmm. and i i i had something happen that had never happened before well i i i, I thought i was pretty solid i came off stage people were people were posting about me online uh, comics were coming up saying that yeah, you were the funniest guy like just dan brennan was going dan brennan was the mc that night and he became my my cheerleader every time I, <laughs> he and i would be on the same program yeah shut up saying jimmy he came back from levity his very first time five months he hasn't been on he kills the audience yeah well the reason he killed the audience is because for about five weeks i'm, pre I'm, I'm preparing to go on stage i'm yes. doing this i'm i'm rehearsing it and when you rehearse it you really you do learn that wow that that's kind of awkward in my mouth that really mm -hmm. isn't that funny I've, I've, i'm finding this isn't working so I, I need to take this out of the equation right. and uh, that happens to me all the time i will i will write something out i will print it out I'm, in fact i'm working on something as i say for tuesday night which has a lot of new stuff in it and as i'm going through i'm realizing i've, I've structured it this way but if i do it that way it doesn't sound natural so i got to change it so i'm 
making the adjustments there and then have to go back in at a later date, change the joke on the computer just so it's, it's consistent with what I need to, with what's, what's working. But that's that you can, why learn it in front of an audience? Oh, and my last big bugaboo with comedians, <laughs> learn your act. Don't take a piece of paper up there. Ooh, that's You're, me. You're That's just not, right I'm, now. I'm sorry. You're just not good <laughs> enough to do that. You can't pull it off. I have seen people, Manolas, uh, Zantanos, funny, funny guy. He's one of the few people I've ever seen take a piece of paper and he'll put it on a, on a, a bench or, or a, a stool and re refer to it. But he, I've seen people hold it up in front of it, in front of them and read off of it. <laughs> and it could be the funniest bit in the world, but I'm sorry. It doesn't work. Let me put it to you this way, Ben, and anybody else out there who, who wants to take stuff on stage and doesn't learn their stuff. Would you think going to see the Justice League movie or any of those other movies would be as entertaining if uh, Superman and Batman were standing with a script in front of themselves, looking down to it periodically? No. No. It would be interesting though, but I would, I would say that was weird, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to see it again. <laughs> no. And it's the same thing. If you, I, I go to Stratford when they've got the shows on and I, and I love to see the shows I, I like I like some Shakespeare, and I, but I love the other stuff as well. If those actors are sitting there with reading their lines off a piece of paper periodically, you 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 lose that connection with the audience. The minute yes. you take your eyes off of the audience, mm -hmm. there's there's a connection that breaks. Friend of mine yeah. played in a band. Like I always remember him telling me back in the '70s that uh, they did a they did a, a a bit of an experiment. They did one set where they face the audience the whole time and they're looking at the audience. Then there's next set, they did it looking at each other. And he said, it was just like night and day. You just totally lost the audience mm. because you were not making them the center of your, of your life. And the piece of paper becomes the center of your life. And that doesn't work out. Now I have seen that done. There was somebody who came in at uh, one time, uh, a much more experienced, I wish I could remember his name. He was really funny, but uh, he did a thing where he found this piece of paper on the bus. And now the piece <laughs> of paper then became part of his act. Right, right. So he, right. he could he could refer to it and say it to the audience. He got a bunch of new and what he was probably trying was new jokes that he hadn't hadn't uh, memorized yet. But in that context, it worked. But <laughs> yes. in the context of uh, what do I say next? Uh, what do I say? Yeah, next? yeah, yeah. And you don't learn how to cover because there's going to be times mm -hmm. you're going to forget, and it's you you've got to come up with something that you. And that was my problem at the at the Brantford Comedy Festival when I did mess up. I didn't have the thing that I could cover with. So I, I fumbled around more than I had of today. When that happens, I would go, uh, that's what happens. You get to be my age. You come here up here to do comedy. Next thing you know, you're wandering around looking for a place to pee. And, <laughs> and that, that yeah, saves yeah, me. Yeah. I for, and during that, during that moment, I can think of what the next line is. And then I right. can go into that and everything. I can save the situation. Yes. But, but if I had a piece of paper in my hand, I wouldn't be thinking about that. I'd be too busy looking to see what the next joke is. And, and then to, so is there anything else young com comics are doing wrong? Is that what you want to know? I, <laughs> I, it is interesting to hear because I, I can imagine that the culture back then was very different in that regard. I think that's sort of, there's a real open, there's so many open mics that it's sort of an amateur dominated culture where people will come in yeah. unprepared. Some Half their people are trying for the first time. And I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily the, the, the most presentable form of comedy or the, or the best thing to, you know, it's not the best they could do. I'm sure. No. And, and I, I think that the hardest thing it, it, to a certain degree, this is a very, very, very social business. And when I, as I said, I had trouble at the beginning finding places to play and stuff. I had trouble connecting with other comedians. And, and a lot of it may have been the fact that they look at a 65 year old guy on stage, even if he's funny, they're looking at me going, well, he's crossing something else off his bucket list. He's could say he's been up on stage. 
but when you when you but i kept coming i kept coming back and coming back and coming back i learned you know and and they would hear me do something really well and uh uh you earn a certain degree of respect and yes but and but but it but i can still see there are people out there who do the same material i hear it over and over again and they didn't laugh the first time what makes you think they're going to laugh the ninth time <laughs> the, 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 that space between your last laugh and your next laugh is too long you've gone two minutes without a laugh yeah something's wrong don't keep <laughs> saying it over and over again going tonight i'm going to have the right audience <laughs> yeah 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 that's a good point that is a that is a very good point but do, going back to that do you feel like um have you felt accepted by like when you got around other comedians and other stand-ups did you feel like did you ever have a moment of like oh this is my people or or do you feel as if you don't quite fit in or do you have any thoughts like that um obviously i feel like you fit in that's not why i'm asking i'm just wondering how (laughs) how you feel yeah no uh, it's a it's a legitimate question when i was people that i would hire somebody new and i would work with them five days a week it would be two years before i felt comfortable enough with that person and it, it, it took a long time for me to for my reserve to break down and i sometimes feel challenged when i i i am accepted would they come up to my wife and I, my wife's always there because she's videotaping everything mm-hmm. and they will come over. And during the COVID uh, situation, we would wear our masks in the green room. Mm-hmm. Comics who would sit there talking to each other would put a mask on to come over to talk to us, but they would come over to talk to us. They would make a point of saying hello. And, and we chat. I'm not good at the small talk, but yep. I, I, I love that. I love being part of that community. And there's yeah. some, there's some, I'm, I'm, I, I just seem to work with or relate to a lot better than other people and that's been really really great but uh i am i'm bad with names (laughs) i'm not gonna lie to you ben i knew who you were but i looked you up and right here yeah i need a new profile picture people can't see this because it's an audio podcast but there is a little piece of paper that says ben bayfield right here in my hand (laughs) so that if any time i needed to to know who you were i could look down and go ben and by the way this is important too. I'm terrible with faces. We are going to meet again and I'm going to see you out of the contact because oh, no. you're not going to be encased in this little square sitting in that room. You're going to be there. And you're going to come, Jimmy, how you doing? And I'm going to go, I'm fine. <laughs> so you're bad with are you. <laughs> you're bad with faces and bad with names. Oh, I, and it, it, that was really hard too when you're in the furniture business. Every now and again, I get somebody and I'd nail them. And over time, if they came in enough yeah. to the store, I would know who they were. But uh, it was the nature of who I am when I'm when I'm in sales is that I'm very friendly with people and uh, I'm just like I am with you. Yeah. And they come in and they figure, well, he knows me really, really well. And I, <laughs> I just, I don't want to say, who are you? I, yeah. I used to, this is the honest to God truth. I would deal with people and maybe they would decide to buy the couch and I would walk over and I grab one of the other salespersons and p- p- persons. And I say, write this up for me, will you? Because yeah. not because, you know, for no reason other than, I didn't want to have to sit there and go, yeah, we've been talking for an hour. Who are you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You could lose the sale on that one. Yeah. Well, you don't lose it, but you lose it. it, it what it's sales is very much like comedy and that you want to, uh, sales are very much like, I'm repeating that so that that bump can be edited out. Sales yeah. is very much like comedy in that you, you, you make a connection with your customers and you do the same thing with an audience. It's the, the, the similarity is very striking in that regard. Yeah. If you make that connection, then they will trust you. Yeah. Same thing in, in, uh, 
in a an audience situation, if you make that connection, they will trust you that you're going to entertain them, that you're going to be funny, and it's it's going to work out, and everybody's going to go away happy. Yeah. So, you do everything you can to maintain that uh, relationship. Yeah, there's an exchange of trust between, yeah. and uh, it's a relationship that you have to work on. But that's that's also great to hear, though that the thing I've always loved about being around other communities is that they, they often don't care who you are or if they're, you know, generally good people, they don't care who you are, where you're from, how old are you, as long as you're funny and as long as you're good. And as long as you show some level of commitment, I think that there's a, there's an understanding between people who, who know what it's like to go on stage often yeah. and, and, and bomb really. <laughs> <laughs> we do. I, and I have, I've, I've, uh, Scott Falconbridge, who's, who's been doing comedy for about 20 or 30 years, who's very, very good. And he's, he talks about bombing. And I asked him one time, like, now when you talk about bombing, like, cause bombing to me is when they boo you and they get yeah. off the stage, you bomb and that sort of stuff. And I, yeah. if, if that's the criteria, I have never bombed, but yeah. I have heard crickets clearly yeah. in my ear after some punchlines. I think that's the Canadian boo. Yeah, <laughs> the Canadian boo. Americans might actually boo you off stage or other places, but we're yeah. we're a little too nice. They're, I know what you mean though. That's that's right. It's crickets. It's never. I haven't had any experiences like boos or tomatoes no. thrown at me or you know. The, the the worst situation I ever had is we did a show out in uh, Toronto one time, and uh, I was recruited to go out there, and uh, it was in a bar, and they were trying to get a comedy thing going. But there wasn't a single person there who gave a rat's ass about anybody being upstage. And there was this guy who was drunk who would get up here, totally hammered out of his mind. Well, I want to up to the stage and start talking to the comedian. You're trying to do your act and what have you. Yeah. And uh, it was, <laughs> it was an ex it was an interesting experience. But oh my God, yeah. I, I don't think it qualifies as bombing because they didn't care. If they they didn't listen enough to say this is bad, they just didn't yeah. care. That's almost, I, I'd almost rather they listen and not care and uh, hate it than not pay attention at all. That's because that's sometimes that once it's impossible to beat. It's when the people in the building don't even know there's a comedy show going on, <laughs> you know, you're in trouble. It just sounds like a, like a really bad speech. But you know, you can learn sometimes. I, I did a show out in Brantford in a, in a tavern on a Sunday afternoon and uh, Tom O'Donnell from Kitchener was down. Yeah, he's, he's great. Tom's he, so funny. Well, we got up there. Joe Botella was there and I was there. <laughs> AJ Bates was there. And I, there was about eight or 10 people who were more crowd comics than I am. I am, yeah. you know, I ended up handling the crowd. I ended up doing a lot more crowd work than I've ever done before. I think in that particular scenario, mm -hmm. but these people do it a lot and none of them could break through. None of them could get the attention of the audience. Yeah. Tom got up. He didn't even try. He just started his act. <laughs> talking so slowly and not softly but he wasn't shouting and he's just taking his time and by the end of his set he was the headliner that night every person in that tavern was listening and laughing yeah. and it was it was a lesson i i hope i'll never forget that you yeah. you know if stay true to what you believe in let the audience come to you and if they don't come to you go home <laughs> yeah, if they don't come to you it, it might not be for you but yeah, yeah that's he's got that deliberate style of yeah. um makes you he makes you lean in uh, to me he's like a guy you'd see at a bar telling a story and and you're like what was that he's saying he, he makes them come to him as opposed to he's not a pleaser he's not trying to please anybody no no and he's got great jokes obviously to back it up he he does you know people like him and 
Manolis and Patrick Coppolino and Scott Falconbridge and, and all, all the other people in our little area here that have been doing it for a long time are, are, are masters of this. Yeah. And we don't know. And when you're starting out, you don't always see that because you, um, especially if you're like me doing new material play, you're doing open mics when you're starting off, you can see these people are really great comedians, but they're doing the same thing you are. So some, some nights it doesn't sound like much. And then comes that night when they're headlining at a real place and you listen to them and you go, why was I looking down my nose at this guy? This guy is incredible. This girl yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. She just, they've just got the magic. They've got the karma. They've got the audience. But just like everybody else, you got to find that place where you can be bad. And unfortunately, yeah. the finding a place to be bad, I think, is a bit of a problem for the audience. Yeah. I, uh, I, because <laughs> I think because what's happening is with open mic nights, when you the, the quality is generally not a, i've been on one program that was an open mic night that every comic from start to finish was fabulous they were great and it was a wonderful experience for the, yeah. for the thing but i brought 20 people out to a show one time to kind of after three years of doing this come on i'm showing off come on, come on, see me see me perform see me perform <laughs> yeah. and uh you know i was okay but i wasn't that great oh, as i dropped my microphone down and i'm suddenly carrying it like uh, like ben is <laughs> yeah yeah i've got my little mic stand over here well i have a i have a i have a nice mic stand but i have a cheap microphone holder here <laughs> yeah. anyway um but those people went away with no desire to come back and see stand-up comedy yeah. and that's a shame if they had seen a good show they would be back but because yeah. they saw the show that they did total indifference and i this... think that's what's killed stand-up comedy but how else do you become a good stand-up comedian unless you have people that are going to let you be bad yeah, I, I think, yeah, a hundred percent. I think that, but I think that that attitude, like you're saying, has maybe invaded a little too much of, um, you know, like open mics and stuff like that, where, where there's sort of people are treating the, the room as sort of a canvas that they can sort of do whatever they please with. But if people are coming out to a show, there's, there should be some level of respect for the fact that they're taking time out of their day to hopefully mm -hmm. be entertained and for you to just kind of shit on them is sort of, yeah. That's, 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 you should never do it. There's never a reason why that's okay. Yeah. Never. I think you, to me, you always give your best show because yes, trying to kill is, is especially, I think when you're newer, I think is, is invaluable. Learn, learning how to, how to just do really well, uh, you know, consistently is and adding in new material sort of periodically, but I'm not good enough yet to, I thought I, when I was at the beginning, I, or earlier on, I should say, I'm still sort of near the beginning. I would, like I said, I'd go out with all new material sometimes. And it wasn't, I'm probably not as nearly as good of an editor as I would need to be to bring those jokes on stage yet, mm. you know, but going out and trying to do well and, and respecting the audience's time and their attention, I think goes a long way. It, it, it does. That'll buy you some forgiveness for the one, that, for the joke that kind of tanks on you out there. Exactly. Yeah. And I think other comedians who, you never know who's there. You never, especially because we don't, you, you do, like I said, you do need a room to be bad, but when you go to most shows, you should, I think you should try and do well because you never know who's watching. I, you know what? You and I share the same opinion on that. I, I completely agree with that because some of those comedians, maybe you've never met them before, but maybe they're going to be producing a show somewhere else. Not a huge one, but it's still a show. And if yeah. they remember you as the funny guy, yes. you're going to have a better chance getting on than if they remember you as the guy who went out there and I'm sure I'm not being judgmental, but the guy <laughs> yeah, who yeah. read all his read jokes off the paper. Cause I saw somebody do that actually in a bar one yeah. time, literally oh, read the whole yeah. act of 
couldn't put nuance into it because yeah. he was just reading. No and spontaneity, yeah. No, it, it, exactly. It just it doesn't work. Yeah. No, I I I will have the I will have the names of my jokes. Not saying that it's any much better, but I'll I'll check the you know to see where I am. But I I think you are right that I'm sort of heading towards that area where I need to definitely have them the act memorized or at least be able to go between them you know and i'm going to step away for just a second stay here i'm coming right back because i'm not saying it is doesn't hurt to have a prompt sheet all right well jimmy england will be right back (laughs) what have you got for us jimmy well i um i was doing uh recording the current what was released today actually uh, jokes with jimmy england and i had every everything set over there i've got a another uh one of the mic stands and i have this tape to it and i don't know if you can see it but it's keys to everything that i'm going to talk about it's yep. usually the first word or something like that yes and then that way if I, I i will say that i usually go up to it to the point where i don't need it i can mm-hmm. i can i can do it without it but if I get stuck, I can do a quick glance over there and do it. Yeah. So having something like this is one thing, uh, uh, but having something that's the whole joke written out there is a, is a whole different matter. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I even don't like, I would never use this in a club, but right. I will do it when I'm re- recording YouTube because yeah. I can then knock it off and do it over again if necessary. So as I was saying, um, you know, I'm looking forward. How have you been dealing with COVID, you know, personally, how, how has that been for you adjusting to life in a global pandemic? Just in general, comedian. I'm retired. This is normal life. <laughs> That's right. Outside, right. outside of outside of not being able, outside of not being able to go on stage, this is pretty much my life most of the time, anyways. So it hasn't really impacted anything. I did go yesterday. I do have my first vaccine shot, so I'm Let's getting go. better. That's great. Which one did they give you? Uh, Pfizer. Pfizer. So I, I, I go back in July. That's the good one. You got the good one. You don't want that AstraZeneca. Uh, <laughs> uh no you know what i want to put that in perspective for everybody okay yeah now if you went to if you went to a shopping mall and you might get shot but if you Mm. went to this other shopping mall and you might get shot there's a five hundred thousand percent chance that you're going to shot get shot which mall will you go to you know what this is a great argument but it doesn't apply to what we're talking about my Mm. point there's only been i think the astrazeneca has had has it has a uh death rate of one in 250 2.1 in 2.5 million people yeah that's uh, coronavirus and coronavirus if you don't get the vaccine is 5,000 and something per 2.5 million people so yeah. it's there's a risk there but the risk is probably in your favor anyways that's i'm not really qualified to talk on that <laughs> and i have made a point in the up till now not to mute, use covid jokes in anything that i'm doing because that's going to be having such a very short timeline. That's going to yeah. be, everybody's going to run out doing COVID jokes. <laughs> yeah. That's two weeks die. later, it's going to be like, oh, not another damn COVID joke. I We've know. heard them. What, what do you got that's new? That's going to die so quickly. I think we're, we're just going to, we're, we're going to run off a cliff. They're going to yeah. be funny, funny, funny. And all of a sudden everyone's going to go like, man, enough, pack it up, take it home and, you know, well, join vaudeville or something. Even, even <laughs> even now what's left to say for goodness sakes it's, yeah it, it is what it is and you know and, and that, 
I, I'm, I'm a little cavalier saying I, I'm being a pension guy who's, well, I don't have a pension. I have a, my investments and what have you from the <laughs> furniture store and it keeps me going. Yeah. And, uh, but uh, it's, it, no, if it hasn't been hard, but it has been hard being away from, from the, from the craft going out on stage was one of the highlights of my retired life. I did what I did in the furniture business for 40 years and I loved it, but I love what I do so much more. This, I think, is what I was made to do. And it's, it, whether I'm going to be this great, fabulous comedian, probably not. But every time somebody laughs, like I said earlier, man, I'm, I'm 20 years old again. And uh, I miss that feeling. That's no, yeah, that's honestly, that, that was another. I, I was very interested to talk to you because it's just, I, I know that you're operating from a pure, there's no way you don't love doing what you do. And it's just, and, and it's really evident in all of your standup and it's been, you know, great seeing you at the clubs. And I, I hope we can get back to that soon, but uh, I hope then, so. If we're on the same program, just remember the name tag. So I will know who it is. I'm six <laughs> yeah. foot six. Yeah. You see somebody this tall, old with glasses. What are the chances? It's me. Pretty damn good. You Pretty know? good. And probably a fedora too, potentially. Well, that my Panama hat. Yeah. The Panama I've got, hat. I've got, a, I got a new hat for Christmas. I got a steampunk top hat that i'm debating about wearing but it's it's kind of off brand and i've spent six years wearing the my panama that every and way i dress is very that's another thing when i go on stage i'm trying to be distinctive i'm, I'm not you know the, the thing is plaid shirts ripped jeans well again i'm gonna look stupid in that stuff but <laughs> I, I want i want to look like when you look at me you go well he's standing out from everybody else who goes on stage and the other thing i'm doing and i think this is a great idea for any comic find a way to say your name in your act because they introduce you at the beginning in advertising, which yes. again, that was a big part of my life with the, with the business is that uh, in order to make an impression with an ad, you have to make at least three impression, three impressions on them. They see the ad three times. The odds really go up after the third time that they're going to remember the product or the, or the whatever service thing that you're doing. Right. And I think it's a, I believe in that might be a similar dynamic you don't really listen the first time when somebody goes, Jimmy Anglin coming up on here. But if I come up here and start, start and I mention my name within my act. Yeah. Oh, Lord almighty. I cut out for a second. Jeez Louise. But I, I, I heard you saying you mentioning, mentioning your name three times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're moving now. Yeah. I'm back. I'm back. I started moving again. I got back into it. Um, but yeah, I think, well, th thank you for coming on and I'm going to, I'll, you know, I really appreciate you taking some time out of your day, especially on this this Easter weekend. Um, Listen, anything that keeps me away from my family is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, you're postponing. I love. Dinner. Well, actually, we don't have everybody. We just have my daughter right. from Toronto and uh, and us. And uh, uh, so it'll it'll be small. We had actually family over yesterday, and we sat outside out out in the back deck in the cold, <laughs> and it's nice wearing masks, spread out, trying not yeah. to make anybody sick. And uh, but it was good. But uh, yeah, no, there's been, there's been a lot of fun. I got to say, Ben, if you ever wanted, want to talk to me again at any time, feel free. Uh, as I said, I'm, you just have to say something and you can go shopping, whatever you like, and just leave me with the podcast and check in when we're done. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, um, thanks again for coming on. Is there anything you'd like to plug? That's Jimmy England on YouTube, right? And yeah, Jimmy England on YouTube. Uh, the, the new thing is joke auditions with Jimmy England. There's uh, six weeks of them that are up at the moment. So if you'd like to check that out, our podcast is back to the balcony. Uh, second look at movies from the sixties and seventies. You can get that on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, pretty much any place where they're not fussy about who has a podcast, I'm there. And uh, 
by all means, come and check me out at any clubs in, in around your area. If you need a comedian, uh, contact Ben. No, don't contact me. I'll <laughs> let Ben know that you like him too. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, yes, uh, that that's that's about all I've got to say. I'm just beginning to ramble now, so <laughs> you're probably cutting me off at the right, right time. I'm beginning to sound like Grandpa Simpson. So that's what. That's... <laughs> all right. Well, that's great. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. And this has been Jimmy England, aka Jim Ordwich. Uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>